Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hello, everyone. Tara Williams here with the Mom Manual. If you guys are tuning in, I have these super cool new headphones. So I'm getting very professional and fancy on this podcast. But I have another amazing guest for you guys today, Lindsay Durand Masumi. She is a doctor of physical therapy. She specializes in pregnancy, postpartum, and pelvic health with a primary focus on serving the female athlete. So for all those athletes out there or wannabe athletes, or I guess ex-athletes like myself, this is the podcast for you. She is co-owner of Virtual Physio LLC, and she offers in-person and remote pelvic health rehab services to active women suffering from leakage, pain, or prolapse, which what mom hasn't. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here as a new mom myself. It's uh, you know, a new experience being in these shoes, but I am excited to share some insight and uh, yeah, sorry if you hear some additional noise here. We do have my new baby joining we us. We have we have a guest speaker. She yeah. little Peyton, she is four months old. She is so stinking cute, you guys. I know if you're not if you're not watching it on YouTube, she is darling and she's just hanging out at the bottom of the screen. So yeah. that's gotta be a pretty good baby that she's joining the podcast. I love it. Um <laughs> Okay, Lindsay, give us, give us your background. Tell us all the things. How'd how'd we get here? Yeah. Good question. So when I think back on it, I am a, so I'm a physical therapist by training. So doctor of physical therapy, and I specialize in pelvic health. And a lot of people ask me, how did you get into that field? How did you get into helping people with pelvic floor conditions? And I look back and I can confidently say I have been obsessed with pregnancy probably my entire life. Like as long as I have known about pregnancy and babies, I've always thought it was the coolest thing. I was always so excited to be pregnant, you know, to have my sister have babies and all of that. And I think through that, I was just introduced to pelvic floor physical therapy. And Mm. so my sister ended up seeing one with her first pregnancy. She's had four kids herself. Okay. And after her first baby, or I guess during her first pregnancy, she ended up with a lot of pelvic pain and someone along the way after several ER visits and, uh, Mm. terrible experiences, she ended up seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist. And that's the first time. And I was very intrigued growing up an athlete myself, um, having experienced what I now realize is pelvic floor dysfunction. I started to become very curious about this specialty and I knew they worked with pregnant women and and all of, you know, all of the cool things that I, like I said, have been obsessed with basically my whole life. So I started to learn more and more about it. And someone along the way was like, I would love to go into pelvic health, physical therapy, but I don't want to treat just like older women with incontinence. Like if Mm -hmm. I could somehow treat athletes who Mm -hmm. are experiencing leakage or, you know, runners or, you know, these higher level individuals, but who also have pelvic floor issues, that would be really cool. And right. that just sparked something in me and I sought it out and that is basically yeah. my field now. And so I primarily work with, again, these higher level athletes. And so, like you said, athletes can be a wide range. So I consider right. anyone who are like, you know, if you're consistently going to the gym, if you yeah. play sports growing up, if you're running consistently, 
you know, several times a week, like you're an athlete in my mind. And so those are the individuals I work with who are hoping to do weightlifting competitions or run half marathons or, um, you know, go to a yoga retreat or whatever it is. And so that is the field that I have found myself in as a former athlete myself, who also experienced pelvic floor dysfunction, and then just went through my own pregnancy and postpartum experience. And so now we help, we help all the moms. So I love it. You know, a strong pregnancy and a successful postpartum recovery and get back to everything that they want to do without worry. Yeah. So when, when we're talking about athletes and pelvic floor dysfunction, is that always postpartum or is that just like in general, you're saying? Yeah. Good question. I see a lot of people postpartum, but there is a ton of people that I see who have never had babies before either, Mm. uh, or potentially they're developing issues. I mean, postpartum in my mind is forever. And so yes, no, you know, your postpartum, Um, but there are definitely people who come in with changes such as during perimenopause. So maybe they're in more of like Mm. their forties or fifties. And now they're, uh, you know, wanting to really get into higher level lifting. They're trying to go into maybe a weightlifting competition. And now they're realizing that they have leakage at this level. So Mm. I see, you know, people kind of across the age spectrum, but definitely not specific to postpartum, although that is a, a wide, a wide range of people. Got it. Got it. I mean, I think for me, it's always the joke, like, Oh, now that your mommy can't sneeze without peeing your pants or jump without peeing your pants, like those, those type things, you know, I think there's this period, like after you have the baby, it's everybody feels like that. Right. But then where it becomes, you know, quote unquote, a problem or, or something to see somebody like yourself is if it's persisting is, am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely, um, that's a fair point. The question then becomes when is, when is it persisting or like when when we draw the line as to like, this is normal healing still occurring postpartum, we can kind of expect this. And then this is something that probably isn't going to get better on its own. And you Mm. should see additional help. Cause I definitely see people who are like a couple years postpartum sometimes they're like, yeah, I've had, I've literally had this issue since my baby was born and I just thought it would get better. Yeah. And then it doesn't. Okay. So I only know about this because of the podcast and we've had, you know, over the couple of years, we've done this, a few pelvic health physical therapists. I had never heard of this before. And in other countries, I believe it is part of post-birth care, right? Yep. Yeah. It's the standard of care. Absolutely. So United States is really the only place that doesn't focus on this pelvic, pelvic health piece. which I find shocking because, you know, we are a first world country. Like why, why is this being addressed? Why isn't it being talked about? Why have I never heard of this as a mom of four? So tell me some things, you know, besides just like, ha ha, like you're peeing your pants. Like what are people coming into you for? So we heard a little bit, you know, some leakage when weightlifting, but is there day-to-day things that are happening where people are saying, gosh, I should maybe see someone, or maybe this isn't normal. Yeah. So I would say the big thing I've been seeing a lot of recently is people complaining of like heaviness in their pelvic floor, almost feeling like things are falling out. Um, Clinically, you may hear the word prolapse, Uh, whether people have a prolapse or not, maybe. Um, But the symptoms that they're describing are kind of like heaviness in your pelvic floor with your day-to-day activities. Maybe by the end of the day, your pelvic floor or like your pelvic region is almost sore. I would also say like pain with intercourse, Mm-hmm. Any sort of constipation or like IBS, GI issues too. I'll see a lot mm. of tailbone pain. 
pelvic pain, back pain, hip pain, pubic symphysis pain. I'm like, I can name off all the things, but it's a lot. There's a lot of different things. In the yeah. This, this is a very wide range, especially going into things like GI issues. Yeah. Yeah. T- touch on that a little bit. Cause I, I feel like so much recently I've known a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah, I just, I thought it was lactose intolerant or glucose intolerant, or like just these different things where so many people are having GI issues. What does this have to do with the pelvic floor though? I could go down a rabbit hole. Basically, <laughs> I mean, everything is connected. So your pelvic right. floor is basically at the base of your core. Your GI system is going to be in, in your core system. It's part of it. And so tension in your pelvic floor can actually slow digestion. And there's this whole mm-hmm. feedback loop too that occurs. So basically our body needs to be in this rest and digest state. And so we can you know, digest our food. We can go on to have a bowel movement. But in our current society, especially you add in a pandemic and a new mom and, you know, the the trauma of the medical system and all of the other things that you have to add into just how difficult and challenging it can be to be a parent in this day and age. And our body is in fight or flight mode a lot. And so when that happens, one, digestion slows and two, Mm. our muscles often tense I always Mm. say women especially tend to hold a lot of their tension, a lot of their pain, a lot of their fears, anxieties in their abdomen. We don't Mm. want people to see that on our face. So we're not going to hold it up here in our neck and in our shoulders. We're going to hold it in our pelvic floor more or less. Yeah. Uh, So the stress of that, again, by default, just with our nervous system is going to slow digestion. It also creates tension in the pelvic floor, which slows digestion, makes it more difficult for us to have a bowel movement. And then all of that just kind of turns into this whole cascade of, well, that now makes it worse for everything else, which then creates more tension, which then slows it even more. So again, it just creates this whole cycle. Like I said, everything is connected. Yeah. Um, So I see a lot of people with bloating or GI issues. Maybe they Mm. think they have a food sensitivity or maybe they're Mm -hmm. trying to cut out certain foods and they're like, I'm still getting insane bloating or um, like severe abdominal pain, maybe even painful periods. And it's not that there's necessarily something um, wrong with the GI system or there's something wrong with their periods. It's pelvic floor tension that's Mm. just making you constipated or (laughs) slowing things down. So you're really bloated. You have so much gas trapped. Oh, but we gosh. get moving or address that and everything else improves. Okay. So then, and, and I've asked this before and I'm still not totally clear. Like yes. I come to see you and uh-huh. I'm like, Lindsay, I'm super bloated. I think I have a food allergy. Help me. And mm-hmm. what happens? Yes. Um, so for me, I mean, I guess I would, I would want to know why you think food allergy, um, yeah. first of all. And, you know, do we have anyone else involved in this picture? Like a nutritionist, like a dietitian? Is there anyone doing additional testing here? Yeah. Um, for me though, I'm, I'm going to go and then look at like, what, how are you moving in your abdomen? Because we need proper movement. We need good mobility. We need basically good strength and control too, in your abdomen for things to be working properly. So looking at that and just seeing if I'm seeing you in person, you know, we're, we're going to be a little bit more hands-on. I may feel your abdomen to see where tension is, or if you have pain or things like that. Um, I'm also going to look at your hips and your pelvis. And if we think that it's important to look at your pelvic floor or do a pelvic floor assessment, that can yep. give us an internal perspective of what exactly is going on with your pelvic floor muscles, which again, highly influenced by your digestive system. And so I could say, Hey, you've got a lot of tension in your pelvic floor. Um, yeah. 
which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did like, did you have a bloating issue or a GI thing that now caused pelvic floor tension or is there tension that then caused bloating issue? We don't know, but if we reduce the tension, does everything else improve? And then how do we maintain it? Interesting. And then if this is physical, I think of physical therapy, I had hurt my, um, like a calf during Mm -hmm. high school when I was running track and it was just always, Oh, I had a hematoma in my calf. I'm like, what happened to my calf? I don't know how that happened, but I'd go in and he kind of like massage it out and show me like stretches to do. Is that Mm -hmm. what we're doing here? Same thing. Yes. <laughs> More or less. We call, um, we call pelvic health physical therapy. It's like orthopedics. So like, again, if you were to hurt your shoulder or hurt your knee or your ankle or whatever it is, uh, we call it orthopedics in a dark room because okay. that's basically, or like orthopedics in a cave, um, because that's kind of what you're doing in a sense. Oh, it's, it's in a dark room. Uh, no, we, I mean, we mean it more by the pelvic floor, internal. I know I'm, okay. I guess no one in, outside the PT world would understand that. Um, but yeah, so it's basically the same thing, like the same kind of principles with orthopedics. Like how are we going right. to stress the tissue? How are we going to reduce inflammation or pain in this area? Uh, how are we going to strengthen it? How are we going to um, make sure it functions appropriately and that it does what it's supposed to do automatically. And the yeah. cool thing we know now too, is like, yes, it's great if we can do that in person, but we can also do a lot of that virtually, or we can do a lot of that, mm. um, you know, via the internet, like how we're talking right now. Yeah. We can do a lot of that just with verbal instruction or kind of cueing people on how to improve things. So that wow. improves a lot of, in a lot of individuals. So what percent of your, is it clients, patients, mm-hmm. patients? Yeah. I, I call them clients. Clients, what percent are virtual versus in-person right now? I would say probably 25% of my clients are going to be virtual. Okay. And then the other 75 are going to be in person. Yeah. So it's, it's and, really more ideal to be in person. Ideally. I think it, it depends on your preference. I've just had a lot of people. We've had a really big wave recently. And I don't know if this is from social media or from something else, or maybe it's just because I went through my own pregnancy recently and did a lot of posting about it, but I've had a huge wave of people wanting pelvic floor physical therapy during pregnancy or mm-hmm. wanting to learn more about the pelvic floor during pregnancy and like how to prepare. Yeah for yeah. birth. And okay. that has been really, really cool to see. So like, yeah, at least 50% of my caseload right now is pregnant. Interesting. And very well, different than when I first started in this field. You know, I think it's just becoming something that people are more aware of, right? Like they didn't even know. And, and that, um, Lindsay had prepared for us a few takeaways today, and that actually leads us really nicely to our first one. So, you know, start early. It's never too early to start meeting with providers and learning about pregnancy, birth, and what to expect postpartum. And, you know, when you, when you think about being a new mom, you're like, okay, of course I'm going to go to, um, you know, my doctor and then I'm at an OBGYN and I'm going to have somebody deliver the baby. Some people use a doula, which, you know, years ago, that wasn't even a thing as, you know, certified sleep consultants now are super popular. Everybody wants to meet with somebody. You have night nurses. Like there's just so much more, I think, because of the internet. When I had my daughter in 2012, I, I was just like, okay, OBGYN, like that's it. Like didn't, I thought a um, doula or anybody else was more for like a home birth or a celebrity. That was my thought. So tell us, Lindsay, how, how we can prepare and like being early, what should we be thinking about? Yeah. So I always encourage people, if you are thinking about, sorry, my little pterodactyl of a baby over here. If you are thinking about getting pregnant and you are not currently pregnant and 
want to just get assessed or figure out if you potentially have any underlying pelvic floor issues prior to going into pregnancy, that can be a really good idea. Um, so okay. if you can start even before pregnancy, that is awesome. Once you are pregnant, I encourage people, especially if you want to stay active, if you have a lot of plans or ideas on how you want your birth to look for me, I had very specific for people who know me and for people who follow me, they already know this, but I did a home birth. And so I did completely unmedicated home birth for my first baby, which was scary for a lot of people, not me, but for a lot of other people. That yep. was very scary for them or very different. So I had a very different image of what I wanted birth to look like. And so I was like, if I want my birth to be like this, then I should probably do a lot of preparation. I should probably look into how I'm going to prepare my body, how I'm going to prepare my mind, how I'm going to like, make sure I have everything lined up for all the different scenarios, basically. Yeah. And so again, if you are, if you're an athlete or if you're someone who wants to stay active during pregnancy, I think that's fantastic. And you should definitely stay active. The thing I run into a lot of with athletes is we're really good at, you know, strengthening our core. We're really good at engaging our muscles. Mm -hmm. It can be very hard for athletes to relax through the pain. I find Mm. like, and again, maybe this is just a competition thing. We tend to really And I say we, because I include myself in this group, but we tend to really push through the pain. Think of a really intense workout or like if you were going on a hard run or something like that, very rarely am I like, let's just like calmly breathe and like really try to relax my whole body to get through this. It's like, no, let's push through, let's work hard um, and, and keep pushing, but it's not relax through the pain. So athletes, especially, I think have a really important job during pregnancy to learn how to relax their pelvic floor to kind of open things up. Um, and it can be really challenging. And so again, if you've got this idea of what you want your birth to look like, I highly encourage you to get in touch with your pelvic floor or get in touch with your, or again, you have all of the resources lined up, look into the classes. I was very much a learn as much as I could prepare as much as possible Mm -hmm. or birth. And I know some people are like, let's just go with the flow. Yeah. For them. I (laughs) And I think like, like you said, the type of birth you were looking to achieve, you can't really just do that. Right. Like other people can just roll into the hospital and, you know, there's a medical staff and there's a a OBGYN Mm -hmm. you hope maybe, but somebody will deliver the baby. If you want to do it at home, that has to be very intentional. Why did you decide to do that? And unmedicated. I, I, well, I guess it has to be unmedicated at home, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. So would, why yeah. did you choose that route? Yeah. People ask me that all of the time too. I have no idea when I made that change, but there is something, something that happened in my time as a pelvic PT, which has been a few years now. Cause I remember starting pelvic PT and kind of being like, why would anyone do that not give birth in a hospital yeah with an epidural like that seems yeah. like the easiest best thing to do is go to a hospital get the epidural and like yep. give birth to your baby and I don't know what happened along the way but something happened and it came down to more of like the physiology of it and I was like I really want to be able to move around I want to get into various positions I really want I want to kind of trust my body I want to do 
I want to do things a certain way. And from what I understand, um, being a provider in this space and what I understand hearing from other people, like there's a lot of hospital policy or things that would prevent me from being mm. able to, um, you know, maybe to like not birth on my back or, mm. um, to have X number of cervical checks or whatever. I mean, it, I say right. hospital policy, but like, is it, you always have the option to say no, regardless. The more I started to think about it, the more I was like, there's a lot of things I'm going to be fighting for in the moment. Mm. And I can be a very aggressive person in a, yeah. in so, a state like that. And so I was yeah. like, it's going to be best for me. What do I think is better? Where do I feel like I'm going to feel safer? Uh, yeah. hospitals make me very, very nervous. I did mm-hmm. not like working in a hospital. I do not like visiting people in a hospital. So the thought of giving birth to a baby in a hospital, I was like, oof, I don't, I don't know if I could do it. If I have to, I will. Yeah. Well, you know, at, at a hospital, there's, it's very kind of a regimented sterile experience. So I mm-hmm. can understand, but I will say why I did not. Um, I had a friend who actually for health insurance reasons, she was like, it would, they had not good health insurance or whatever it is. And she was like, I'm just going to do it at home because it's going to be way less expensive. And she had this whole plan. Mm -hmm. It went horribly wrong. She needed to be rushed via ambulance to the hospital and ended up having emergency C-section. And so then she had to like, basically pay for both things. It was super traumatic. They were like, if you had got here minutes later, like your baby, oh could have gosh, died. Yeah. like it was a right. textbook worst case scenario. And yeah. I had my daughter when I was 25. So I remember thinking like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't right. care how much it costs, like get me to that hospital and give me the epidural. But there's so many amazing reasons to do that. And I actually believe that. So I had three children, three pregnancies within two and a half years. And I had an epidural all three times. And I do think that there is something that affected my back because Mm. I had that. So could it have been like the three pregnancies, but I did some research on epidurals and I mean, they're not, if you think about the mechanism, it's, it's numbing your whole body. It's a massive needle. There is chance for infection. Like there's just a lot of risk with it. Also, it's amazing because you don't feel the pain as deep as you would, but I had some like back issues after that. I actually had to go to physical therapy for quite a while after my third. And I do think it was somewhat from the epidural. And in hindsight, I wish like one of my children, I went and they were like, you're eight centimeters dilated. Like you can basically start pushing. And I was like, no, 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 give me the epidural. And they're like, you're just going to slow down the, pre- the the birth. And I was like, nope, I want it. Like, I don't care. So that one, I'm like, oh, come on. I was like halfway there. I should have just done it. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So do you see any kind of correlation between you know, doing the epidurals, because that's like a big discussion point and having any pelvic issues or like no correlation there. Hmm, That's a good question. So I definitely don't want to like bias anything in those regards. So I feel like I don't, I try not to pay attention to that too much. Right. I will say I do tend to see people push for a little bit longer when having Mm -hmm. an epidural. This is again, anecdotal. This is what people are telling me based off of their birth stories, they do tend to have a little bit longer pushing time with an epidural compared to without. And sometimes they will have a longer labor too. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because if things are progressing really well and you have an epidural and it kind of like, if you stop moving as much, um, that can kind of slow baby's descent. But for a lot of other people, like an epidural can be really amazing because it is Mm -hmm. such good pain relief that it allows people to relax 
and like really kind of move, like move into their labor and birth. Yeah. And it can be really helpful. Um, and that may actually reduce a lot of like tearing for people, especially if things are going really fast. So there's a lot of, I mean, it's hard to say, but from my experience, I do tend to see, um, people who get an epidural push for a little bit longer. Yeah. That has an impact on the pelvic floor. Maybe, but I don't know. No real, no real correlation. Today's episode was brought to you by dreamland baby. I want to introduce you to a product that hundreds of thousands of parents use to help their baby sleep. The dreamland baby weighted sleep sack. Hi, I'm Tara Williams, host of the mom manual and founder of dreamland baby. When my son Luke was six months old, he was still waking up every hour and a half. I was completely exhausted, frustrated, and at my wits end. Sound familiar? My solution to create a gently weighted sleep sack that babies can safely wear to help them feel calm, fall asleep faster, and stay asleep longer. The award-winning doctor-approved Dream Weighted Sleep Sack and Swaddle features our proprietary CoverCom technology, evenly distributed weight from your baby's shoulders to toes to help naturally reduce stress and allow your little one to feel relaxed and sleep soundly. If you're struggling to get your baby to sleep for longer stretches and go down easier, you're not alone. This product was a game changer for my son and can be for your family too. And right now we've got a special discount exclusive to mom manual listeners. Use code MOMMANUAL15 at checkout to get 15% off site-wide. Isn't it time for you to invest in rest? I do feel like there is a correlation with the back pain and epidurals, but that's like a whole, just like theory based. Nobody here, Lindsay's a doctor. I'm a nobody, but that's just my opinion. (laughs) I have, Um, you're not the only person I've heard complain of that. Again, I haven't done a ton of research into it. I never want to like discredit people's experiences. Like if you come in and you're like the epidural caused my pain, like Mm -hmm. I have to listen to that. At least I know. Yeah. Regardless of whether that's true or not. I'm like, that's what she thinks. And so like, Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on that. Right. So Lindsay, I'm sure through your work, you're hearing tons of stories of women, um, you know, while you're working together with them and and stretching and and examining and things and just talking about life. And so, you know, one of your other takeaways is ask for help. Like you are going to need it. Talk to us about that. Yes. I think it is so hard, especially in today's day and age, we are a lot of us, we are like working moms, but it's not just like you're a working mom. Like you are working a full-time job, plus you're being a mom, or it's like, we've got these expectations in the postpartum recovery that you're supposed to do all these things. Yeah. And I think it can get, you can get so caught up in like, I have to do this all. Uh, right. And it's very hard for a lot of us to ask for help yeah. in those instances. And I think it's even harder in those moments when you are super stressed out and sleep deprived and like your body's recovering and maybe you're not eating the best it is really hard to ask for help in those instances. So I found at least in my experience, having that help lined up ahead of time, like we, during pregnancy, we kind of arranged, okay, how are we going to have help lined up in terms of like, who's going to bring us food or how are we going to have food? or Who's going to come over and just help with the baby during the day? Who's going to take late night feeds um, so that I can actually get some rest. So having that set up ahead of time, I think really helps people out. Cause it, like I said, yeah. it is so hard when you are in that moment and you are so deep in it or so thick into motherhood yeah. where you feel like you should be doing it all. It's really hard to ask for help. 
Well, and I I feel like I'm, I have an 11 year old. So I feel like it it was like a lifetime ago that I had her. And it also really was pre Instagram. Mm -hmm. So Facebook was out, but this level of sharing and influencers, um, content creators, just like really sharing their life. I mean, you, at the time I was reading about things in magazines or like what to expect when you're expecting, like there was no real talk. And so I just didn't even know what to expect. And I think anyone who's listening to this, that's pregnant, I'm sure you are much wiser and more educated than I was, but like, you really do need a lot of help. And some people don't have that option. I, had moved across the country for a job. And my husband and I were just married. We were in a new city. Like we didn't really have friends yet. We didn't really know a lot of people. And I'm super lucky. Like my mom flew literally across the country, Boston to California for two weeks. And then my sister had her headquarters was by me in California. And so she was able to then come the next two weeks and like go to work, but still hang out with me at night. And like, you just need help for cooking, which again, like at the time, like DoorDash wasn't even around, you know, like you couldn't easily get food. Now it's like a friend has a baby. Oh, you just send him a DoorDash or whatever. Like it's it's a lot easier, but I don't know. I just felt like at the time I was like, I want somebody and there's no understating, like having a clean home. Right. So like, if you have a friend that wants to come over and help you, like I, I want to go to my friend's house and be like, what can I clean for you? Like, what can I just pick up? Like what laundry load of laundry can I do? Because I know as a fourth time mom, I'm like, that's what you want. Like, you don't want the new baby outfit. You don't want to feel like you're entertaining and like sitting on a couch, like having conversation. You just want people to come and serve you, (laughs) you know? So don't be shy to ask for it, especially when you have friends or aunts or mom, you know, who have had babies. Like they know, they know, they know. But what kind of things um, do you feel like really you recommend people asking for help or just that you're hearing like, I wish I had like this lined up or I wish I had asked for this. What's the top things you're hearing? Yeah. Let me talk first on like what I did that I found really helpful and then yeah. maybe yeah. what I wish I would have done. Yes. No, um, use yourself as an experience. I love that. That's the best. Yeah. And, and these are all like, I would, I will preface this all by saying I would not have done any of these things if it wasn't for like my patients who told me about all of them and recommended all of these things and the providers. I also just work with being a pelvic PT who were like, no, this is really important, Lindsay, you should learn about this or do this. Um, so things that we did just to kind of prepare and make sure we had like help and basically had arranged beforehand or immediately set up, you know, postpartum. Um, so we definitely had lactation support on mm. basically on call. Yeah. Uh, so we met with her, we did a whole breastfeeding class knowing that I wanted to breastfeed before baby was born and then, um, met with her postpartum to do a feed, to make sure everything was working. Okay. And then have still had her. I just used her a week ago or two weeks ago when I had a clogged duck. So like having that support on hand has been super helpful. Uh, breastfeeding was one of my biggest fears. I had no idea what to do. I feel like I didn't have yeah. good examples or like good support growing up. I mean, like even postpartum, I feel like there's not that there's shame around it, but it's still kind of like weird in my family. Yeah. Like I'm out at the beach breastfeeding and my mom is like, what are you doing? Cover up. And I'm like, it's breastfeeding. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So kind of to backtrack here. So breastfeeding support was really good. Again, kind of setting up, like, how are we going to arrange meals? How are we going to arrange sleep? mental health 
both of us had mental mm-hmm. health support on basically on call too. And again, appointments wow. set up in advance, just knowing. Wait, like, that's amazing. Like who, who did you set up ahead of time? Um, both of us had therapists. Just a like, therapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Both of us were, had appointments set up with therapists again, before baby was even born actually. And that was a recommendation from a postpartum doula that we met with. She yep. was like, I'll just go ahead and set that up because again, you're going to be so in the thick of it. Like yeah, you're not, and not have time have to like second. search and like look for a therapist. Right, and, like exactly. Who and does, my, does it take my insurance or is it out of pocket? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, that's, a, I actually, our last podcast, we had somebody on who specialized in post birth mental health. Like that's her specialty. Yeah. And I said, I've never even heard such a thing. And she's like, oh, it's like an extra level of the degree. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, I love that. And then you talk, you said arranged meals and arranged sleep. Like talk on those really quick. What what does that mean? What does that mean? Yes. So, yeah. I thought I was going to go into labor way after my due date. And so I had all these plans to basically make all of these freezer meals before I went into labor and then yes. went into labor yeah. uh, earlier than expected. So I didn't have that, but we had arranged, like one of the things we had put on our registry was a meal fund. And so oh, I love that actually contributed to that. So we did have like lots of gift cards and lots of things set up in terms of like, okay, here's funds for us to get things from DoorDash. Um, and this is like at your baby shower. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's such a good one. Baby shower meal fund, you guys, that's the best. Yeah. So we have that on our registry and I put all of our, honestly, all of our services on there too, like meeting with Mm. the lactation consultant and postpartum doula and like massage therapy and sleep consultant. And my husband thought I was crazy. And then we had the baby and he was like, I'm so glad we did all of that. Yeah. <laughs> We've learned all of these things or that we have all of these resources. Yes. Okay. This is, this is like an aha moment for me because I was just, um, I was actually at a bachelorette party this weekend and she was talking about how she's not going to do a bridal shower. And I said, everybody wants to give you, like set you up for your house and give you you know, the kitchen stuff. And, and she's like, I don't know. We're like, we're in an apartment. We're going to be moving. Where am I going to put it? And I said to her, I still have like all of my glasses, my dishware, my, you know, like everything, my vacuum from when I got married 12 years ago. Like that is what, you know, and you have aunts and cousins and like bosses who you haven't talked to in two years, but like include them all. Like they want to send you something. And it, do- it's, it doesn't have to be expensive. Like some people just want to say, here's a $25 gift card. Like yes. I'm thinking of you, like I'm recognizing this milestone in your life. But when you are talking about a baby shower, oftentimes people bring, it's like just so much clothes. Right. And then you get for zero to three. I mean, you probably didn't because you sounded like you had it like lined up, but for anyone else, I will tell you most times people go out and they buy a ridiculous outfit that you would never pay for yourself. And it's like a cashmere sweater for your two month old, you know, just like something crazy. And you're like, look at how cute it is, but it's really not practical. And you also just don't need so many clothes for zero to three months. So having stuff like this, what Lindsay's talking about, breastfeeding, lactation consultant meals, having those meal cards, gift cards, registering in whatever way, um, sleep consultant, that is huge. And the mental health therapist, like that, I mean, you guys went all in, like you did all the things. And then you said a doula as well. Wait, what'd you say? Massage? What was the other Yeah. So I had, I did have, so we did a hypnobirthing class, like to prepare for birth. That was also on the registry. Um, and then that instructor also did 
prenatal massage therapy. And so I like, I put it on our registry too. Um, I I was all about the services. I was like, we don't need this stuff. My sister again has had four kids and she's done. And so she gave us so much. Just gave you everything. Yeah. I was like, I mean, yeah, we need, we need some of the furniture and we need the big items. You need a car seat. Basics. Right. Um, but I would much rather have people pay for the services and like, if we need clothes, yeah, we get it secondhand because they're going to grow. Yes. Yeah. So I just kind of, my husband again was like, no, we need the stuff. And I was like, no, we don't. We need the education. We need the services. Yeah. Again, and you really realize postpartum how much it paid off. Another thing too, um, I think there's Facebook marketplace. I feel like Craigslist isn't happening anymore, but like I'm on this next door neighbor group. I'm on like an email thread. People are constantly just like giving stuff away. Um, when I first, I had, I think three different strollers and like one of them we never used. And I put that on, you know, the seller place and it was for probably 90% off. It was, and it was like brand new. So I feel like a lot of those big ticket items, you, if you're, I mean, you know, you're pregnant for nine months, like you can find it and then use this stuff, like these services that is invaluable. And it's going to make it like an amazing journey because the stuff you won't remember or care about, but it's like the experience and the emotions and how you felt like, did you connect with your baby, your husband, yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, this last, last podcast that we just recorded, I mean, she was just saying so many women go through, um, postpartum depression. It's like one in five and just really are struggling with mental health. And if you can kind of lift a lot of that burden by like doing this stuff. So I am really impressed with you, Lindsay, you, you like nailed the preparation. I mean, can you share your registry with us? (laughs) Can we put that in the show notes? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, like I said, we, I was just really about how can we prepare the most in all the different ways. And obviously I felt okay. Pelvic floor wise and like going into birth and all yeah. of that, you know, I was like, yeah. okay, but what about all the other stuff? I will say my husband did add again, the, the dreamland baby sleep. Oh, swaddle. I love it. Is that how we met? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it I showed love up it. one day it showed up. Yeah. Like weirdly enough, I think someone ordered it and they forgot to actually mark it. So we never really knew where it came from, but someone got it and it just showed up. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe you put this on your registry. And it (laughs) is like one of the most items we, we started day three, I think, or day four of her life. And she's used it every night since. And I mean, at this point that she just cycles through. Um, but that I, is definitely, if you're going to add the stuff, add that one. I tell everyone. I, oh my gosh. I love it. I mean, we, you know, I don't, I don't talk about the business a ton on this podcast, but I am the founder and CEO of Dreamland baby. And I made it for my son and he was waking up every hour and a half at six months old. The first night he wore it, he slept for 12 hours. Like it was insane. And within a week I was like, back to my life. Now, obviously a three-day-old is not sleeping 12 hours, but it's just that like extra little bit of, you know, like calm and comfort. And then when you can put your baby, which this is like what textbook one-on-one of sleep consultants, when you can put your baby in their crib awake and then let them fall asleep, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they will have the ability and the skill set to settle them back to sleep. If you are rocking your baby, if you are nursing your baby to sleep, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they want to be rocked. They want to be nursed. They want to be held in the way you held them. So I love that that product is one that you can just like put your baby in their crib. And it's, um, I had yes. one of our sleep consultants say, it's kind of like therapy. Like 
you need a medication plus you need the therapy. Like it's like that was sleep training. Like you need to do the sleep training and then the sleep mm-hmm. sack is like the medication and it's like, oh, yes. you know, one, two punch. So I love that. And yeah. you guys, I did not tell her to plug that by the way. No, <laughs> no not, not at all. Um, no, that sounded fantastic, but not at all. Uh, no, we really do. <laughs> we love it, but we did take us a workshop from a sleep consultant and yeah. she talked all about swaddles and transitioning out of like swaddles to one arm to two arm and like how yes. to make sleep work. And so again, we just took her knowledge, like everything basically that she taught us about wake windows and sleep and like basically yeah. what you were saying how to get baby to go down to sleep kind of independently. Yep. And yep. we started that right from the beginning. And again, that the sleep swaddle or the sleep sack has been part of our routine the entire time. So now she yeah. knows. She knows she sees it. You turn on the sound machine. She lays down, she puts her arms in and she cries. Oh, I love it. She gets a little sad for like 10 seconds and then she's really happy and she knows that it's time to go to bed. And I mean, she goes to bed so easy and sleep was another really big one that I was so worried about because I think people scare you or they freak you out about what to expect and what can happen. Right. And, and like sleep all now, you're never going to sleep again. And that's not, it's just not true. Like yeah. you can teach your baby to sleep. Um, yeah. There's a reason sleep consultants have become so incredibly popular and probably like, you know, somebody at this point who's a sleep consultant, like they're just popping up all over because it's, it's like um, somebody compared it to me by saying, when you are feeding a baby for the first time, like solids, you take the spoon, you put it in their mouth and they're, they'll do this like face and they spit it out. And it's like, they don't know how to put their tongue down and swallow. Like they have to actually learn. It's not like babies innately don't know how to eat. And they also innately don't know how to sleep. So it is a skill that you can teach your baby. Even like you said, as early as, you know, three days, four days, five days, you can start like you're not going to be sleep training that early, but you can start laying the foundation. So when they get to be, I think 12 weeks is when they say, you know, babies can kind of like comprehend that. And they're not just like up all day and all night at that point, Mm -hmm. you can really, the base is like there and you're ready, you're ready to go. So I love that on the sleep and that, that really transitions to the last takeaway, which is just talking about your postpartum period. Like, I think we really went into this, um, you know, working with your partner, your family to develop a plan A, B, and C for what life's going to look like. Um, and just making sure that all those essentials are covered. So beyond kind of the services being on your registry and having all that in there, what else did you feel like you prepared? Was that help from family or what else did that look like? Mm -hmm. So my husband and I talked a lot about, I don't think I actually mentioned it earlier. Um, we talked a lot about our sleep schedules and like, how are we going to navigate, especially newborn sleep. And I think this is a good conversation again, to have with your significant other or whoever is involved before the baby gets there, ideally. So again, you're not in like this state of tension and like sleep deprivation and you're so angry and just like, it's not a productive conversation. So we talked a lot beforehand about, okay, what is the sleep schedule going to look like? And it was me going to bed a little bit earlier. He was going to stay up a little later and then give her a bottle that I had pumped so I could sleep a little longer. Um, and I would get up for like middle of the night feed and then early morning feeds. So I think like talking about sleep schedule. And then we also talked to about like, what are our non-negotiables? What are three things that Mm. each of us needs to do every single day just to like feel good, like to feel okay in your body, to feel healthy, to feel happy, um, to feel like you. Cause I think again, immediate postpartum period period. There yeah. are several moments where you are like very confused on who you You're are. Like, who, a- who am I? Yeah. 
One of the things that I remember thinking was with my first, I just remember this so vividly. I felt so connected to my daughter while I, while she was in, in my body. And when she was born, I thought that I would have this immediate, like heart explosion, like crying, like so in love with you. And I literally felt nothing. Like I looked at her and I was like, I'm supposed to feel something like, should I try to cry right now? Like, I I was like, what's going on? Like, I just felt relieved because I had been pushing for two and a half hours. And I was like, I don't even want to see her right now. Like, I just want to go to sleep and I want a sandwich because I hadn't eaten in like, you know, 12 hours or whatever. And I also remember having this immediate like shame and guilt. Like I'm a monster. Like, why do I not feel this immediate connection? And Mm -hmm. it helps with like skin to skin and like breastfeeding is super helpful. But I think for anybody who's listening, who's either just had a baby or you're pregnant, like after you have the baby, it's almost like you have this, um, this thing you're looking forward to for nine months. And then I almost remember like going home from the hospital and feeling like a disappointment in a way, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's almost like you're preparing for this like vacation and then the vacation was over. Right. And it was kind of like, oh, like maybe it wasn't as what I thought it was, or it was just this really kind of odd, like mix of emotions. And again, like feeling that guilt that I wasn't like so happy because she was healthy and she was here. And, you know, and, and I, again, looked at her for probably, I would say at least a week or two and really didn't feel anything. And then the like love grew and the bonding grew after I like knew I was keeping her alive. Right. Like eating and showering and like dressing her up and, and, you know, whatever, but it wasn't immediate. And it, and it made me really have this almost like, um, crisis of self, if you will. Like Mm -hmm. I imagined I would be the mom that when the baby is born, I am crying. Right. And when I was not, I was like, who am I? But then also on the flip side, you have this, like, I am no longer me. I'm a mom. And it was like, for me, I was like a mom of this child that not that I didn't want, that I didn't feel a connection to. And I was just like, what is happening right now? And also you're tired and you have the hormones are going crazy. Like there's so much happening, but yes, you having that like loss of self, I think is totally normal, at least for a time period, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're just, you don't know what's happening. So I love this idea of these non-negotiables. So can I ask if you're okay answering it? What, what were your, what were your three? And what were your husband's three? I know. Um, That is a, what were my husband's three? a good question and honestly mine were like nothing crazy um so one of them was I think I remember this now one was 30 minutes of outside time regardless of Mm -hmm. what that was so I would like go and sit outside on the deck with the baby or I would sit out on the patio or you know when I got a little bit further on we would go on a very gentle walk or something like that yeah that one um another one was like brushing my teeth and washing my face every day yeah it seems really basic so simple like you get so caught up sometimes, um, that you don't realize you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. I think the third, the third one for me was like, I wanted the dishes to be clean at the end of the day. Mm. I was like, whether that's again, assigning that to someone or doing it myself, but like, I would really like to start off every morning knowing that there was like a clean Clean. kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. It just made everything smoother. Um, so that those were my three. And I mean, it was really like, those were the most important things of every day, at least for me. And it like, it was treated that way. And so it was, it was great to see that. And then I think for my husband, he also had the 30 minutes of outdoor time. Um, and I think he also had, his might've been like shower every day or something. Yeah. Basic. I think he also had another one, like spend, you know, 
30 minutes with my wife or like he wanted to focus on more of like the quality time and making sure he and I were having time. Like, yes. Okay. And for anyone, anyone who's <laughs> listening that is like, your husband's an angel. You did say he gave you some pushback on kind of the services and setting yes. everything up. Right. <laughs> so like you needed to get him on board a little bit. He wasn't like, Oh yes, let's do all these things. Right. He was not necessarily on board. I think the yeah, the more we went along, he was like, okay, I like, I trust that she knows what she's doing, but he was just yes. like, this is a lot. Like, <laughs> you're like, we're having a, a child. Right. We are introducing a baby to this world. Yeah. Like, um, we have to learn all the things. <laughs> we need to know everything. I love, I love the three non-negotiables. Um, on, a, on another podcast, we had talked about like setting your values, which really mm-hmm. aligns with this. Right. And, and if you were to say, what my values are and then go dial down deeper to say what my specifics to like fulfill those values. I think it's just, um, stating it. So your husband or partner, whoever, if you're, you know, single doing this on your own and you have a sister or a mom or whoever helping you, like they know what's important to you Mm -hmm. because they might be cleaning your bathroom and you're like, I don't care about that. I just want the kitchen sink to be clean. Right. So by stating it, and I love everything Lindsay had said about doing it ahead of time. So you're not doing it sleep deprived with crazy emotions with like a baby who's crying and you're in this state of chaos. Like you're doing it while you're planning and you're thinking right now, our life looks like this soon. Our life is going to be like this. What do we want to hold on to that we currently have to keep this kind of like in a peaceful organized manner? Lindsay, you had so many good takeaways today. Oh my gosh. I'm just dying. We have to get your registry. I we will, I will get it. I will put it in the show notes, you guys. Lindsay, this okay. has been such an amazing podcast. You did mention you do virtual visits and in person. So where can everybody find you, follow you, give us your social handles, website, all the places. Yeah. So on social media, you can find me at Dr. Lindsay Masumi. So Dr. D-R Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y Masumi, M-A-S-S-U-M-I. And then our website is going to be virtualphysio.net. And so on there, you can go ahead and book a free consult with us if you'd like to learn more about like health rehab services. So we have pelvic health rehab services available during pregnancy, postpartum, as well as just general pelvic health um, and general pain too. So definitely check that out. And if you're interested in learning more, you would just start with booking a call with me. Yes. And I love you guys that you can do one, a free call with Lindsay Two, She's super cool and easy to talk to. As you heard in this podcast, I've interviewed a few other pelvic health specialists where I then got inspired, but they didn't do virtual. And when I went to look in my area, I didn't have anybody local. So I just kind of gave up on finding it, but now we have a resource for anybody who's listening. Lindsay does virtual. It's amazing. So thank you so much for joining us today and imparting all your wisdom. Have a great day.